Well, I have the wonderful privilege today to introduce to you some some new faces for some of you. Others of you have met uh, the Johnsons as uh, well. At least Ron, as he was here for the uh, Network of Related Pastors meeting this past February. But here at Legacy, we are what we call an interdenominational, non-denominational church. And while we are autonomous in how we operate the ministry, how many of you know it's not good to be independent? You need to be connected. I mean, the Bible is clear. An isolated person, an independent person is a dangerous person. And so we believe that while we're not a part officially of any denomination, we need to be connected. And one of the ways we're connected is obviously through the network that we're a part of, the network of related pastors. And there's probably 100-plus pastors that would call that their home, their fellowship home. But here at Legacy, we literally have uh, three couples that oversee. We call them our presbyters, overseers. And uh, their job is, hopefully, uh, in a good way, is to come on occasion to encourage us, to input us, to challenge us, to enlarge us, to expand us. It's, it's really also a, a safety valve for the local church. Because sometimes, you know, pastors have been known to lose their mind. <laughs> Not this one, but they have been known. And I've known a few congregations to have lost their mind. Not this one but some. But you know what? We all need to be connected in some form or fashion. And um, uh, pastors uh, Ron and Marion Johnson, who come from Crown Point, Indiana, they pastor Living Stones Fellowship or Living Stones Church, um, just a wonderful ministry up there in northern Indiana, right outside Chicago, just a, a, a powerful work. We were connected just a couple years ago. Dr. Ron actually is well-educated and um, just smart, smart, smart. I love it. Whenever we have to room anywhere, we room together and we just stay up late at night and we talk about all the things that nobody else wants to talk about except <laughs> us. But, but we enjoy that very, very much. And um, has a real heart for this nation, has a heart for reformation. And really, uh, both of their places on our presbytery board, along with, uh, like I said, two other couples, but their place is that is that the, the national reformation message just resonates. And, you know, I know you hear it a lot from me, but it's good to hear it from somebody else. And it's good to hear what maybe God's doing on a much broader scale as well. But I'm just thrilled to be able to introduce to you just a wonderful quality couple. And they're going to be faces that you will see on occasion throughout the years that are coming. We finally have all of our presbyters in the same tribe. Hallelujah. They're all in the network of related pastors. But Ron and Marion Johnson, they are quality people, have a track record of ministry. His dad's a great pastor, raised up a great church there at Crown Point. And so what a legacy they already have. And so I could go on and on and on, but you just need to hear. So bring your ears to hear. It's going to be a great morning. I want to introduce both Dr. Ron and Marion Johnson. If you guys would come, let's all stand and give them a great legacy welcome. Well, hey, we just want to say uh, how excited we are to be here. We've had just a great couple of you go ahead and be seated. Thank you for your love and, and honor and uh, what a privilege it is to have the invitation to come and just connect with you. Some of you I saw out at the conference in February, which was a phenomenal experience. Your church just led the way with excellence and service and uh, took such great care of us. And we spent yesterday running around the city uh, in downtown Charleston, seeing all the sites and everything. So I had such a great time with your pastors and love them. And, and as uh, Pastor Kevin said, as we get a chance, I think Brother Rod Aguilar puts us together on purpose because our job is to solve most of the world's problems by the, by the time, you know, the weekend's over. So we stay up late talking about everything, and we'll be announcing our presidential run here in about four years. We, we're just we're just trying to figure out. Uh, <laughs> I like these folks already. We're just trying to figure out who's the president and who's the vice president. You know, we're uh, we're both such good-looking guys, and uh, and uh, we both, to use a football metaphor, have completely outkicked our coverage when it comes to our wives. How many of you can say amen to that? I, I have my beautiful wife of uh, going to be 28 years coming up in, uh, in June. Mother of our eight children. Can you believe that? Isn't that awesome? And, uh, but I, she, she's uh, my favorite person on the entire planet. And I just wanted her to greet you because uh, it would be an incomplete trip without you hearing from 
her heart. So, uh, honey, why don't you just say what's on your heart, and then I'll pick up from there. Well, I will keep it short so he can talk, but uh, wow, we're so honored to be here, and we're so honored to connect with your pastors. Wow, we've had such a great time. They have just extravagantly taken care of us. And so if you have people like that that are leading you, you're in good hands. They have such a passionate heart for Jesus. I walked in on the tail end of your intercession time this morning, and oh, that's my passion. That's my passion is getting into the throne room and hearing the heart of God and just coming into agreement with him and bringing it down from heaven to earth. So we are so excited to see where God's going to take us in the years to come. We have such like heart, like passions, and and uh, just sitting in the car and just interacting, it's just crazy how much alike we are. Aside from, I don't have quite the sanguine that Tracy does, but I love it. I love the, everything about us. It's like yeah. we're just talking and just have so much fun together. And, and I'm so excited where God is taking you all as a church. Um, just to feel his spirit here. And I just encourage you, come under your pastors. Come under them. Pray for them. Intercede for them. Guard them with your prayers um, from the enemy trying to come and to cause your path to go side to side because God has a call in this place, a very strong anointing, a very uh, world-changing. They're outside those doors. I mean, we're feeling this. It is time for the church to get outside the building and for you doing this uh Super, super Saturday. That is so cool. That's exactly what we're feeling, that God is just wanting us to hear from heaven the strategies of how to take what we have in here out to a hurt, the silent criers, the ones who are just looking for answers. So we will be honored to cover you in prayer, to war with you, to stand with you, to cross-pollinate with you. I know that you all have things that God's going to bless us with in our church already. I mean, you should come and, and see our stage. It's starting to come to look like this. <laughs> <laughs> we so, shamelessly stole all the ideas from when we got out here at the last time. But it's so great. I mean, we're gonna, and what God has in all of us is going to enhance, enhance each other and let God change you and mold you and shape you, push you outside your box. I would not be the woman I am today if God had not brought this man into my life to push me in times where it's just like, <laughs> don't make me do this. But I'm so grateful that God gave me a heart to submit and to come under and say, okay, God, if you think I can do this, then, you know, just do it through me. So I'm excited for you all. We're so honored to be here and look forward to, I'd like to bring our eight kids um, here to get to know you all and just to interact with the people here. So we'll see what God has in store of us for us on the in the future, but we are so honored to connect and to um, be a part to of your body. We had good plans. We were going to do our family vacation out here this last summer. Come on, see you guys. Mix, you know, mix some great beach time with coming out to Legacy and getting to know you all. And then we had two weddings and a high school graduation in six weeks' time. So how many of you know that kind of blew our summer vacation plans out? The budget. Yeah, the budget just right out the window. But anyway, so now we have eight kids and two more we just added because we added a, a, a beautiful son and a beautiful daughter uh, to the tribe. So uh, anyway, Lord willing, we'll be back out here bringing them all with us and, uh, and let's just get to meet the tribe. You have anything else to add? That's all. All right. Don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> You want this, Pastor Kevin? Okay. Well, amen. I also have to thank uh, your pastor for his great wisdom because we went out and we took a look at the property that you all have purchased and um, are excited to see how God begins to, to do all that. But I'm grateful after that chigger story that you didn't have us hiking out there. So I'm going to remember that and uh, I'm going to return the favor sometime. Praise God. All right. I want you to get your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I, I really want to encourage you this morning, not only corporately, but I also want to encourage you individually, and I really want to challenge you. You know, sometimes you hear messages that deal with the corporate aspect of the body of Christ, and I'm a big corporate guy because I think we live in a hyper-individualistic America, can anybody say amen, where everything's all about us and, and everything. But uh, this message today is about you, and so I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, get ready, because God's going to speak to you today. Just go ahead and prophesy to him, all right? Tell him God's going to speak to you today. And I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I just want you to give this this confession to you. Just tell them, I want to listen very carefully today, all right? Just tell them that. Just confirm it. All right. 
I know that God is doing some great things here. You sense the fire in your worship and the kindred spirit. We, we love you already. And I just want to throw fire on, or gasoline on the fire that I believe is already raging here at Legacy Church. And I believe that we're living in a time, as uh, and I appreciated the applause when we talked about the goofing around, talking about running for president, but you have a pastor that is highly unusual. Can you say amen? <laughs> hey, I'll let you interpret that however you want, but that's something every one of you should be able to say amen about right there. But I mean highly unusual and that he gets it. How many of you know the church is not meant to just keep the salt in the four walls of the church here? We should be transforming whatever we touch. And the vision should never be just filling seats or filling pews. How many know the vision of the church should be transforming the, the environment in which God has planted us? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if Legacy Church ministers in this community for 50 years, 100 years, and if Legacy would close the doors, nobody would even notice that, that you all were gone? That would be a tragedy. And I, I constantly challenge our people, you know what? Are we really making a tangible, measurable, sociologically verifiable difference, if you know what I mean, in our community? Are marriages being transformed? Is our government being transformed? Is the socioeconomic status of our people in our region being transformed? What about alcoholism and drug addiction and sexual perversion and all these kind of things? Is there a tangible impact that we are making as the people of God in the communities where God has planted us? How many of you know we must ask that question? Because it does not do us any good to do the gig in here and to completely miss the purpose of why we come together here. And your pastor gets that. You know, he was part of uh, something that I believe is a radical cutting-edge movement that's taking place in this nation. That's the pulpit initiative. I mean, you know, if we could just get the pastors engaged and, and prophetic and full of the fire of God and talking about things that matter, we'll start to actually have people pay attention to what's going on in our churches again. And I'm finding everywhere that I go, there's a void across America where people are saying things like this. I just wish our pastor talked about the things you're talking about. I just wish our pastor would speak about things that are absolutely relevant and that are going on on the evening news and things that, that are really happening in America and the world today. And of course, Pastor Kevin just had a chance to, by the sheer favor of God, to have a platform in this community on the radio. Many of you already know about that. But talking about things, again, that matter. And talking about the freedom. You know, one of the gentleman that introduced me last Sunday is I took part in this pulpit initiative. He said the most, the, the, the most important one square yard in America is, is behind the pulpit. And that we need to keep that area free so that pastors can preach the word of God uh, with power and authority. And talk about everything because how many of you know Jesus Christ is Lord of everything? And if we as God's people are representing him, then I ask people, what is it? I ask the IRS, what is it that I can't talk about? I'm representing the king of glory. He speaks about everything. I'm just his representative. And you know what? Since he is Lord over all, there's nothing that is off limits for the people of God to talk about. And so that gets me excited because we, we literally can get engaged in any area of society and bring the Lordship of Christ and the transforming power of the gospel to those areas. And so I'm going to really challenge you this morning because you're probably different than Pastor Kevin or myself. You might not be called to stand and do what we do every week. Um, but you know what? You're all working in various uh, callings all throughout this community, places where we'll never, never be. But your job is to bring the kingdom there, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you got your Bibles open up to 1 Samuel chapter 14, I want to talk about three words that change everything. Three words that change everything. Your pastor was telling me that you just finished a series on developing a victory mindset or a victory perspective. How many of you enjoyed that series? I got, I got excited just hearing about it because that's why I love your pastor so much. We share the same DNA. I believe if we have a failure mentality, if we think we're just grasshoppers, as you heard, uh, then how are we going to take anybody? How are we going to take any cities? How are we going to see transformation? This song we just sung on awakening. How are we ever going to see the awakening that God wants for us? if we don't change the mentality that we have in our minds. And so he was dealing with you about developing this victory mindset. But I want to do another little tweak that I think is so important. I want to I liberate you to not only think like a victor, but to act like victorious people. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a home where, you know, we had a big emphasis on prayer, on listening to the Holy Spirit, 
on waiting for God. And I mean, you know, those are all great things. But have you figured out in the, in the Christian life, every single doctrine that we uh, have it needs to be kept in balance and there's always a tension. In other words, you can, I could emphasize something this morning that would be 100% true. And next week, Pastor Kevin could get up and emphasize just the opposite, and it would be absolutely true. In other words, it depends on which side of the, of the diamond, which facet you're looking at at any given moment. And so that's why it's good to come to church and keep listening, because you'll get balance, okay? But I'm talking about, here's the balance that I want to get to this morning. If you spend your entire life waiting on God, then I call it living life almost at the stoplight, and your life is a continual red light. And what you're waiting is for God to speak to you in such a way that the light turns from red to green. Are you with me? And then you go. But here's what I'd like to suggest to you this morning. It's just a minor shift, but I think it's a huge shift as it relates to our effectiveness. How many of you know if you are born again, anybody born again out here this morning? Anybody got a heart that's full of passion for Jesus? All right. Anybody have a heart that says, I want to be a part of what God's doing in the earth today? Anybody have natural desires in your heart, just things you're just normally passionate about, all right? Here's the shift that took place in my life that I believe is, has to take place in the church. If you'll turn your stoplight upside down, here's what I want you to do, your stop sign. I'm wanting you to, to function on a green light and wait for God to put the yellow and the red on. Instead of staying at a place of red and waiting for God to give you permission and turn it to a green light. This is what I mean. I'm a son of the Most High. I'm a joiner with Jesus Christ. I'm an overcomer. I'm a, I'm a regent on planet Earth. I'm somebody that's been given a new heart that beats with God's heart. I'm somebody that loves the Lord and loves His kingdom. Am I talking to the right crowd? God wants me to begin to function on what He's already spoken to us in the Word. God wants me to begin to act as if I've been given a mandate, which we have. How many of you know that, that we've been given two mandates? They're basically the same. The Great Commission mandate, right? Go into all the world and make disciples of nations. Did you all hear that last word? Nations. How many of you know God's trying to expand our vision here? God wants us to disciple America. Oh, that gets me excited. Just trying to have you ever just thought about what that would look like and how that would actually I know you have. That's why we're but the one that came before that goes all the way back in the garden, and, and that was the dominion mandate, and that was to take over the planet and to rule and reign and to bring the planet under the creative energies of God's people. Which means, I notice the shift again, if you live life on the go, God's saying follow your heart, follow your passions. Of course, stay in the Word, stay under authority, get there's a, a, a wisdom and a multitude of counsel. I'm not talking about being a Christian lone ranger, but I am saying this. What is it that God's put in your heart to do? Do it. What is it that's in your hand? Act on it. And God's job is to keep us in, that, in the paths of righteousness, which are the wide paths of his revealed will, his revealed righteousness for us. As you begin to stray off, that's why you have people in your life that love you and can speak into your life, spiritual authority, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. But I don't even know if it's in the broad parameters of take over the planet for Jesus. It's a green light. If it's in the broad parameters of loving people, it's a green light. If it's in the broad parameters of stepping out in faith and doing something radical, radical for God, green light, green light. How many of you heard people say, I'm just really praying if I was supposed to go on a mission trip this year? You already got a green light. Jesus already said go. I always tell our people, don't ever ask if you're supposed to go out of the country on a missions trip. He's already told you that. He'll put a red light on if it's not the right timing. But you should assume by default that God wants you to be on the go. Just turn to your neighbor. I'm transitioning you. Tell him, God wants you to be on the go. Prophesy that to him, all right? Just tell him that. Let's take a look at the three words that change everything. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 14. It says, now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines garrison on the, that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And in verse 2 it says, here's the contrast that I want you to see. Saul was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Now I believe this is a picture of where the body of Christ is today. How many of you can sense we're in a kind of a, a stalemate 
with the larger culture. In fact, I wouldn't even call it a stalemate. I'd say we're getting our brains beat out on the larger on the larger culture. Can anybody say amen to that? In other words, the influence of the church has been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and becoming more irrelevant and more impotent uh, in our culture for many, many years now. But I do believe, to encourage you, I believe we're living in a time of demonic overreach. How many of you know sometimes the devil does stuff that's really stupid and he does things that are so outrageous that he actually wakes up God's people? We're like, hey, you can't do that. And I think we're in one of those you can't do that times. Now, it takes a lot to wake up Christian folk. And I'm putting myself, I mean, you know, we're just nice people. We just want to mind our own business. We just want to love God and raise our families. Am I talking to the right crowd? I mean, we're not trying to pick a fight. We're nice people. But the problem is we've forgotten somewhere along the way that we're in warfare. And the reason we've forgotten we're in warfare is how many of you know when you're so far away from the front lines, you're like on the love boat instead of the battleship. I mean, every, life is good. Life is good. Praise the Lord. Well, that's only because you're not on the cutting edge of where the battle's happening. And so you're living in a fairy tale world. But what happens is when the evil comes creeping into the love boat uh, of the church, all of a sudden we go, hey, you don't belong here. We don't believe that. That's not right. And it kind of wakes us up. Well, this is where we find Saul and the people of Israel. They are in a face-off with their constant foes, the Philistines here. The battle has dissolved into an absolute deadlock. Has anybody watched the morning news? All right. A deadlock. There's no movement. There's complete gridlock. And I want you to see before I get to three words that change everything, I want to show you three words that change nothing. All right, these are three words that should never be said of you or of Legacy Church. I'm in verse 2. Saul was sitting. Saul was sitting. And it's not bad enough that he was just sitting. Where is he sitting? It says he was sitting in the outskirts. <laughs> if that's not a picture again of where the church has hung out for far too long. We've been sitting not at the battlefield or the, or, the, or the place of conflict, but we've been sitting in the outskirts. The outskirts is a place of irrelevance. It's a place where nobody even knows you are. And how many of you know, if we're singing about worshiping Jesus and being identified with his cause, and he's unshakable, unchangeable, unstoppable, guess what you are? Unchangeable unshakable, unstoppable. That's what you are. You're his bride. And so there's this thing in us that needs to get this identification that with the fact that, you know what? God has called us to be on the move, not in the outskirts, on the front line of what's going on in our generation so we're not irrelevant and impotent and nobody cares. When is the last time you saw a man of God or a woman of God speaking on national news about something that's happening in the culture? When is the last time you saw a spirit-filled businessman talking about the economic crisis from a kingdom perspective? When is the last time you saw a good movie? Oh, how about Courageous? Anybody see that one yet? A local church that says we need to begin to take over the media and entertainment mountain of culture. Instead of cursing the darkness, let's bring solutions to the problem. How many of you know that's revolutionary? But my point is, every one of you in your calling, in your arena of anointing, needs to be asking the question, what would this look like if Jesus were Lord of this area? I was talking to my brother right down here, a chef. In a resort kind of community, right? How does a chef who's serving every day, working long hours, how does a spirit-filled, godly kingdom man who's serving in a, in a, in a service-intensive uh, industry, how does he bring Jesus and the anointing and the presence of God to what he does? And how does he transform the entire culture of his place of employment? That's how kingdom-minded kingdom and kingdom-thinking people think. Does that make sense? So he comes to church to get equipped, but this isn't where the action happens. The action happens where you're spending 60, 70 hours a week, maybe longer. Uh, that's where your point of engagement is. And you've got to be asking, what do I do? 
to bring Jesus into that culture? And what is the what is the measure of kingdom success and impact I'm looking for to measure how effective I am in transforming this this area of culture? All right. So that's how that's what I'm saying. Every one of you needs to connect these dots with me this morning. It says Saul was sitting. Here's the sad part. This is the leader of God's people sitting under a pomegranate tree. And the tragedy is he's not only wasting his potential, but he's wasting the potential of 600 people who are following him nowhere. Now, can I encourage you? Churches that are going to engage in issues of relevance will always attract confrontation. I hate that. But I tell our folks, look, if you're going to run with us, this is the way we run. We're going to talk about things that matter. We're going to go love. We're going to go reach out. We're going to invest. We're going to engage. And you'll probably find us in the newspaper, and they'll probably find people not saying nice things about us. But is that not a sign of relevance? If nobody is talking about this group of people and the impact that you're making, then you're with Saul sitting on the outskirts. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of churches in America where you can find a nice leader like Saul who's tall, handsome, good-looking, and you can camp out under a pomegranate tree, and you can live on the, light, the love boat, and case sirrah, sirrah, and isn't life good? And you know what? You will absolutely waste your life. Because how many of you know someday you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account? And I tell our people, what do you want? Do you want to come to a church? with a pulpit prostitute who just tells you what you want to hear? Or do you want to sit under a church where there's the anointing of God, the Word of God, the power of God, the presence of God, and listen to where sometimes you actually feel uncomfortable? But the uncomfortable is, we had somebody come up and said, they said this, Pastor, I just want to tell you, it was so good being at this church. They were a visitor. They said, this is the first time I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in so long. Now, they weren't convicted because we were beating them up. I mean, you, know, you don't come to church to have somebody beat you up. But when you're raising the bar and it's an, it's an apostolic anointing, I mean, you know, the apostolic is a mission thrust. It's a, it's a go. It's a push you out of the nest anointing. Who likes to be pushed out of a nest? It's no fun getting pushed out of a nest. But you know what? You'll never know that you're an eagle and that you can fly until you get pushed out of the nest. So, you, so the apostolic anointing will throw glass in the nest. And sometimes you curse the very one who's responsible for your destiny. I'm going to show you this in just a minute. Anybody having fun this morning? I want you to show, show you something absolutely different. A different kind of spirit. This church has a different kind of spirit that God is creating and cultivating here. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, this is what God had already spoken about his desire or his intention as it relates to the Philistines. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. If the Lord says you return to me with all of your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you. And prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And notice this last part. Here's the promise. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Now I want to show you. Jonathan heard that prophetic word of the Lord, I believe. All of Israel knew that prophetic word of the Lord. That was God speaking to them saying, listen to me. Turn from the idols. Turn from the compromise. If you will love me, I will cause all of your enemies to be placed under your feet. That's thus saith the Lord. How many of you know when you get a thus saith the Lord, that's something you can take to the bank and you can cash that in and you can stand on that promise. This was not a, God's intentions with the Philistines was never up for question. Saul should have known that God's desire was to subject those people under the feet of Israel. Saul should not have been sitting in the outskirts. He should have been walking in faith and engaging the enemy. Why? Because he didn't need another thus saith the Lord. He already had a thus saith the Lord. 
How many of you know God's intentions about Christ being Lord over the universe, Lord over the cosmos, has already been firmly established in his word. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. At his ascension, as he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he says, I'm going to give you a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, heaven, earth, below, above, every, every place in the entire universe, and declare Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't have to question that. That is not going to happen at his second coming. That is the reality now. Jesus is Lord. What's my job? To take the kingdom of God, the rule and reign and dominion of God, through my life, through your life, through our lives corporately, together, and to begin to implement the kingdom to begin to connect the dots between. What did Jesus pray? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was one to pull heavens and the reality of heaven down to this planet. He said, that's how I want you to pray. That's what we should be looking for. So notice the three words that Jonathan says that I believe are the key to changing everything in our lives. Jonathan, instead of Saul was sitting, it says this about Jonathan. He says, come, let's go. Say that with me. Come, let's go go. Say it again. Come, let's go. And he acted upon the word of the Lord. Jonathan, uh, it says in verse six, in fact, let's read his entire uh, challenge there. He said, come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by a few. I don't know about you, but if I'm the armor bearer, I'm going to like to say that back to Jonathan at this point. It says there, um, it may be, Jonathan says, that the Lord's going to, going to act. Now, most of us are, are, are like that armor bearer in the sense that we're saying, you know, hey, leader, Pastor Kevin, I know it may be that this could be the outcome, but uh, can I get a little more certainty? How about it will be? How about it shall be? But how, how many of you know it may be? This is faith speaking here. This is risk. This is somebody who's acting on, a, on, on the heartbeat of God and saying, you know what? It's just the two of us, but let's just go on over there. Come with me. Let's go see what God's doing over here. It may be that God's going to act. Most of us never get to where we stick our necks out and to where all we have to rely on is God, please show up or I'm going to be in a rough situation. But I believe God is wanting to push us out of our comfort zones and get us to where we're going to be like Jonathan here and stick our necks out. How many of you know it's been said orthodoxy, good orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. What that means is good theology about God leads to good living in practical terms. If you know your God and you're grounded in the word and you know his character and you know that you're a son or a daughter who is supposed to represent God on the earth, represent God then I want to give you a little secret. If you'll act like God, God will defend you and provide for you and cause you to have the resources that he has as you act like him. Let me give you an example. We have eight kids, as, as we said. And, you know, I heard a pastor say one time, he said, you know what, this special offering that you're giving to me, it's going to go to feed the poor and the hungry and the homeless. And he says, no, I'm not sending this money to Africa. It's going to my family to take care of my kids. <laughs> People will say to us, are all those kids yours? That's usually what we get when we're walking through the frozen food section, you know, at the grocery store. Are all those kids yours? And we're like, no, we picked up the couple over there on aisle 14. And, uh, you know, of course they're our kids. They just shake their head, you know. They, they start thinking about our, our, uh, our carbon footprint and the damage that we're doing to the environment. And... and um, I mean, if you know, I want to have the biggest carbon footprint for the glory of God possible. But, they, you know, but, but we get those kind of questions. And here's, here's the thought. God says, you know, I want you not only to love your own children, I want you to have a heart for folks that don't have a family and aren't they don't have any mom and dad. I want you to be a spiritual mother or father. Well, Lord, what does that mean? Why don't you bring some folks into your home that really need to be mentored? Um, Lord, we already have eight kids and a dog. And now Marion's mother and father build an attachment onto the back of our house, an apartment. So in our house currently, we have uh, 
14 people and a dog. All right, and we're not doing hamsters or cats or fish or any of that kind of stuff. Well, we do have a fish up in the room too. So anyway, I put, the, I put my foot down. But here's my point. Instead of saying, God, how are we going to help house and feed these folks that need a mommy and a daddy? I, here's, what I, here's how I think. God's called me to function like a father on the earth. He is the heavenly father. If I'll have his heart for people, it's his job to supply all of our needs. And so I don't sit around biting my nails about how we're going to make ends meet because you know what? My job is just to act like God. To love like God. To serve like God. To give like God. To care like God. And if I am representing Him, does He not have the ability and the power to release resources and blessing and grace and to cause things to come into line? I'm talking about getting off the lazy river and getting on one of those rides that goes and you're screaming your guts out on the way down. I, I, I'm talking about moving the church from the lazy river to the cliff. And anybody that's been on the lazy river said, oh man, that felt so good. But anybody that's been on the cliff said, whoa, 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 as you're pulling out your wedging, you know, as you went, as you went down, you're like, whoa, I'll take the cliff any day, all right? I, I want the white knuckle experience because I think the church is far too often boring. And God's wanting to wake us up and to say, hey, come on, let's go try that. And maybe God's going to show up. Maybe God will back us up. Maybe God will do something godlike that only he can do. Are you with me? So I want you to see this. It's like they're saying, basically, let's move from the outskirts to the enemy's camp. This is nuts. The outskirts is where everything is so comfortable and predictable and nice. But they're saying, no, let's go right over to the enemy. This is a different kind of spirit here, all right? I'm just telling you. This is a different kind of spirit. In fact, he is about to place himself in a situation that's so dangerous that if God fails to show up, basically, he's dead. He's just dead. He basically says, let's go pick a fight. Let's just go pick a fight. Now, I've been preaching on the providence of God. How many of you believe in the providence of God? Now, now, this is a doctrine, too, that's fallen completely out of use in our culture today. So we're just bringing it back in and polishing it up because here's what the providence of God will do. In Psalm 31, David says this, My times are in God's hand. My times, plural, are in God's hand, singular. In other words, I like it. It doesn't say my time is in his hands because God only needs one hand to deal with every single human being and to keep him secure. He doesn't even need to use his other one. Look, one hand. That's the way God's doing it here, right? What this means is if you are in the center of God's hand, anybody with me on that one? He knows my beginning from my end and everything in between. What do you need to fear? What do you need to worry about? We have people, you know, people that before they'd be freaking out. You know, we don't, we don't even let our kids go to the mall and you want to take them to Russia. Or they watch the evening news and it'll say, you know, over in some remote part of, you know, wherever, there's these people on the evening news throwing rocks at a, a, a soldier standing there and, you can't take the kids to wherever because in that country that's 2,500 miles away from where you're going to be, a kid threw a rock at a soldier. And then we say things like, we are immortal until our times are done. Does anybody believe that? God's smuggler believed that. The man that took all those Bibles into Soviet countries and when they were under the Iron Curtain. He said, I am immortal until my time is done. You know, there's a, there's a missionary named uh, John Patton who went to an island that was full of cannibals. And the last two missionaries that landed, the only two missionaries, were promptly served up for dinner upon arrival. And he was an Irishman. 
with a great ministry going on, and yet he grew up in a home where his daddy mentored him in the things of God, and his dad would he hurt he would hear his father praying for lost people in his closet every morning in this tiny little cottage that they had. He heard the cries of his daddy's heart going up for lost people. How many of you know that impacts you when you're in that environment? And as a young man, newly married, he went off to that same island where the missionaries that got there prior to him were promptly killed and eaten for dinner. How many of you know that takes a unique person to hear the call of God and to step out and to basically say, come, let's go and see what God does. You know that after arriving upon that island, his wife and, and, and child ended up getting some type of a island uh, fever and they died. And he was alone by himself on those islands. And he, he would share in his journal how the chief would come up to him with a musket with the trigger pulled back and literally follow him around while he was minding his own business and hoeing in his garden and, and trying to raise some crops. And if this guy would walk along with the muzzle pointed at his head, and he said to the Lord, Father, I know my times are in your hands, and that this man's finger is not controlled by his own will, but is controlled by the sovereign providence of God. And Lord, I know I'm not going anywhere until my time is done. Ho, 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 ho. Do you see what I'm talking about? When you know who you are and you know who your God is and you align with his purposes, it puts a sense of invincibility, of confidence, of boldness, of fearlessness to where you're saying, you know what? I belong to the Lord. My life is in his hands. My times are in his hands. My destiny is in his hands. I am going to live a radical, bold, free, free life. Not bound by what I think could happen or how many of us cross bridge after bridge after bridge after bridge and we talk ourselves out of the will of God because we're so afraid of what could happen. Three bridges down. God has already been in your tomorrow, in your future, in your in your 10 years from now. God is already part of a legacy and where you're going and what he's called you to do. He's already been there. He's already been to the land. He's already seen the new building. He's already seen all the people that's going to be full of that building. He's already seen the impact that's going to come out of this house. He's already cheering you on. He's looking for agreement from his people, and that requires faith. He's looking for a people. He's looking for people that will say, come, let's go. I want to break those words down. Because the word come means somebody is challenging all y'all to come with them. In other words, we're going this way. Come. I'm just telling you, sometimes in the body of Christ, we're looking around for somebody else to be raised up and to lead. It just might be you. It just might be you. Are you inviting folks, come, whether it's come to church, come to our house, come, let's go serve together, come, let's go share the gospel, come, let's go to the nations. It always requires somebody to lead. And I believe I have, I'm in full agreement with your pastor on this. If I'm not, throw it out the window, but I, I, I'm almost 100% sure I am. I think we have a vision for a church that's not waiting for people to come and become a permission withholding congregation where nobody does anything except the pastor. That's not your pastor's heart. God is wanting pastors to equip people and to release people into their domain and to lead. Our job is to cheer you on. Our job is to come alongside. How can we help? If you're a businessman or woman and you're out there slugging it out 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week in, in, in this economy and you're trying to bring kingdom into that and you're dealing with all the stuff that you're dealing with, I, my job isn't to come here and to define you and give you a role. I need you to serve as this or I need you to do that. No, I've I even had people leave the church before and say, you know what? Um, you all just didn't use me. I said, excuse me, what are you, a Kleenex or a piece of toilet paper? We don't use people. We're not here to use you. We're here to envision you. We're not here to give you the script. We're here to lead you to the script writer. Hear what God is saying. What is your destiny? What is it that you're supposed to do? What is it that's only in your heart that, that you're going to birth? What are, who are the people that are going to be impacted by your leadership? You don't need me to define it. I couldn't even define it in your arena. I don't work there. I don't live there. 
but I worship the same God. And so instead of, imagine this, instead of people just coming and passively sitting and going, what if we came and actively worshiped and listened and we heard an apostolic leader like your pastor preaching and challenging and envisioning and we took that nugget and said, yes, what does that mean for me? And then you get before God and kaboom, a destiny or call explodes in your heart and you begin to live life on the fast track. Instead of just coming to church, now you're being the church. Come on, anybody getting this? I'm, t- I'm telling you, if, if this church becomes a come-and-go church, you'll be the most excited, happy, fun, scared people on the planet. Because how many of you know there's a little bit of fun and scariness in all this? Twelve years ago, I ran for office, and i got to tell you what happened. I used to teach biblical worldviews, still do, teaching our young people that Jesus is Lord of all. And I challenged them, we need godly leaders in our government. And they would all say to me, well, Pastor, why don't you run? I'm not called to run. You're called to run. I'm envisioning you. That's not my assignment. Well, I started opening my mouth and preaching like all that. And, and you know, how many of you know when the people that are closest and most familiar to you, when they're speaking to you, you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. But when somebody outside of your context speaks to you, gets your attention. One night, we're walking to the missions banquet at our church. And our, I'm, I'm only, I live like 100 yards from our church, so it's great. There's, there's a short drive to work, no traffic problems. The only bummer is I can't listen to anybody's teaching tapes. I'm like, I, I barely put it in and I'm out of the car. I can't even hear. So anyway, I'm walking to work uh, for the missions bank, and my neighbor grabs me and says, I know just the perfect guy to, that needs to run for this position. I said, who, who? Because we had a person that was saying they're pro-life, pro-family, and they were killing every piece of legislation downstate and, and coming back like the golden boy, and it just irritated a whole bunch of us. And so he says, you need to run for office. I said, me? My mind starts spinning. Oh, my gosh, Lord, is this you? What's going on? And then how many of you know it's always dangerous to be married to a prophetic woman? They'll get you. <laughs> ah, yes, sirree. All right. So I walk into the church for the missions banquet. And I said, honey, you will not believe the conversation I just had from our neighbor. That good old Catholic brother down the street. You know, Bob, you will not believe what he just said to me. Her eyes, I tell her, her eyes get as big as saucers. You know, those prophetic eyes. She says, I just had a dream last night. You were on television doing a political commercial. I mean, you know, at that moment, if you have one lick of discernment, you know you've just been captured by God. And then I went from excitement to fear. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It was like, oh, mighty man of valor, like the Gideon thing. Who are you talking to? And I never will forget when I obeyed God and I went and I filed with the county clerk. Put my name on the line, which meant it's going to be in the newspaper. Have you all ever been to those amusement parks where you get in the biggest, baddest roller coaster? And you're not so sure you want to do it, especially at this season of my life. I get sick just watching kids on swings. I, but there was a day when I would go there and just write everything. And you know what I'm talking about when they pull that thing down and you hear a click? You ain't going nowhere, all right? <laughs> no turning back. You're going, oh. That, I'm ta- that's exactly what I'm talking about. There is not one, one of you in this room that should not have that experience repeatedly in your life as it relates to your call. There comes a time when you cross the line and you go, oh, my goodness, what have I done? It's like you just picked a fight. And you're standing there like this, and you look up at the enemy, and I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have talked that way. But here's what I want you to see, the power of seizing a moment. Power of seizing a moment. I love this passage because if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 14, look at the way this verse starts off. Now, it happened one day. It sounds like a fairy tale, the beginning of a fairy tale. We know the scripture is not a fairy tale, but it happened one day. How many of you know this was a 100% authentic, normal day? Have any of you ever had those? 
I'm challenging you to take your it happened one day and to begin to believe that every day can be a supernatural day. If we will seize the moments that are around us every day, normal life, normal work, normal routine, but they aren't normal because there's a supernatural God who's waiting to literally insert himself right into that situation. Does that make sense? So when Jonathan basically says, come, let's go, he takes the same moment, the same day, the same turf, the same weather, the same Philistines, the same pomegranates, the same everything that Saul's experiencing. I mean, he's Saul's son. I mean, he's even got the same DNA. But he acts completely different, and he gets a completely different outcome. You all know the story. It's amazing. The Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah, and I love this. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I'd like to just say this to you all. God is the God who's always doing new things. Here's the question he asked. Do you not perceive it? How many of you believe God is absolutely working in the United States of America today? How many believe God's hand is still on this nation, and he's using the good, the bad, and the ugly to bring us to a place where his heart's desire is always to bring redemption, restoration, and blessing. Anybody can agree with me on that? It helps to have that kind of perspective. But here's the point. God is at work. God is at work. God's always at work. Can you perceive it? Can you see it? Do you have eyes to recognize it? Jonathan did. When we act in obedience doing what we should do, God always reveals then what he's about to do. How many of you know in the scripture, God asks this question repeatedly, who will go? Whom shall I send? He's constantly looking for someone that will simply take their revelation, their understanding of who God is, and just join hands with him and say, come, let's go. To, to embrace the call of the Lord. Now, as I said, I'm not, you know, you've heard in the army that one of the most ridiculous slogans in our armed forces was army of one. Y'all with me? Do I have any military people in here? All right. In any of our great World War One, World War Two, any of our great conflicts, I mean, you know, we didn't send one guy over there to rescue the United States of America. I and mean, that'd be kind of silly. Army of one, you know, not really. We need an army of millions. We need people all working together. But I want to, I want to emphasize the oneness of the call of God on your life this morning. Because God is looking for somebody who will just agree with him. And he doesn't need a majority. The latest data, does anybody recognize that the gay and lesbian agenda is kind of being pushed strongly in America today? Have any of you noticed that? <laughs> That's a joke. All right, how I many you know we can't miss it? The latest data came out on that lifestyle. One to two percent max of the people in the United States of America are living an openly homosexual lifestyle. One to two percent. They are literally controlling the entire agenda right now in Washington, D.C. and in corporate America. Let me tell you a little secret. It's never been majorities that change the world. It's always been committed, radical, passionate people that believe God or believe whatever ideology that they rally around and hold on to that thing, and then they live it with all their hearts. This group right here can change Charleston and beyond. This group right here has the potential in God, this army of one, all of you ones, coming together, hearing God, embracing his call, following your pastor's lead as he's saying, come, let's go. You have the power to change America. And I think the devil knows it. You know, I, 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 uh, I announced a few weeks ago, I had another one of these God encounters regarding public policy. And I said, Lord, are you apprehending me to throw my hat in the ring again? Because we've got some really ungodly people representing my district. And I don't know about you, but it ticks me off. If it doesn't tick you off, we're going to have prayer for you afterwards. It should tick you off. All right? And I had another God encounter. And the Lord gave me another confirmation as I, as I began to ask him what this is all about. And he began to lead me to jump in again. And I'm trying to think why I just mentioned that. Um, 
He is looking for someone to hear. And here's the deal. I don't know the ripple effects of why yet. But I got a bunch of these crazy 20-somethings at our church that have been hearing us preach this message for years. And they're like, we are called the government. We need someone to show us how. All right. All right. You know how the best way to learn how to get involved in government? Be a part of a campaign. I want you guys to be a part of my campaign. You know what happened? After we announced two weeks ago, I just simply stood up from the pulpit, you know, all this all the lawsuit stuff going on. I stood up, I took I took my jacket off, I said, I'm no longer your pastor, I'm a citizen of the United States of America, and I made my announcement. I said, if anybody's interested, come over to my house. It was raining that day, it was nasty. We had a hundred people commit to work with me. Last time we ran, we had 250 people on a Labor Day parade walking. How many of you know most candidates can't get their mother to walk with them? I'm not kidding. We, I'm talking, this was mostly Christian people who loved their pastor. We freaked out the entire region. At one of the party meetings, one of the leaders said, that guy over at that church, he says, those people will follow him like zombies wherever he goes. It was like invasion of the body snatchers. It was like the zombies were taking over Crown Point. What happened? God's people just got involved. And they're going, man, look at all these people. Yeah, because we love these people. And we love Jesus. And we have a vision for kingdom. And we are committed about all this stuff. Rah! And what I'm telling you is not necessarily that your pastor's going to run for office. He might get a strange call from God. I'm telling you this. Why aren't there people in this congregation, business leaders, community leaders, that would say, you know what? I'm tired of this person representing us. We should have Christ representing us and biblical concepts representing us in this community. And here's the cool thing. Every church, if they just caught this vision, could begin governmentally also to take over the region and influence because the people of God are the best untapped secret on the planet, which is why the, 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 the enemy is always trying to silence us and keep us in here. And you've got to keep that Jesus stuff separate from public life. No, we don't. That's what the devil's just going. Please do that. Please stay in the four walls of your church. Because if the church ever gets a Jonathan spirit, look out. I'm telling you, we could take back our nation in a short time. If God's people just got involved, you are not one or two percent. You are a sleeping majority in this nation. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying the body of Christ. But you know what? We ain't sleeping. We're getting we're getting the picking out the gook out of our eyes, getting up, getting the bad breath off. I mean, I'm telling you, the church is getting mobilized now for I believe our best days. I'm going to shut up here. How am I doing? All right. Let me let me wrap this thing up. Three quick points I want to give you regarding Jonathan's life that I think are instructional, and then we'll close. First point is, how many of you know, Jonathan could have been all bitter because he wasn't the next in line for the throne. He could have been saying, you know what, well, who's this David guy? He's not even, he's not, you know, I'm, I'm the son of Saul. How come I'm not next in line? Don't get focused on somebody else's gifting or calling and get bitter about why it's not you. I mean, you know, God, you got to be comfortable in your own skin. you got to know who you are. Is there one of you in this room that God just ran out of gifts and talents and, and he, said, he just says, sorry, I, I, I had to skip over you. I, I was all out. Some of you feel that way. I'm telling you, it's a lie. Every one of you needs to know who you are, what you're good at, what you're not good at, and be you. But be, be you in Christ and watch the amazing things that God can do. My wife is incredibly prophetic. She doesn't preach like I do. I don't want her to preach like I do. She'll get up and just release fire everywhere. And you might not know what the sermon title was, but you felt it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And I'd rather, I'd rather feel it because she's, she's prophetic. She imparts the life of God. There's all different giftings in this room. Be you, but be under authority. Look at what, look at what happened next. He acted within his own sphere of authority. He knew his father was not going to fight. He knew that wasn't his father's makeup. That wasn't where his dad was at spiritually right now. Uh, but he didn't undermine his father's authority, and he didn't try to rally the troops around him. This wasn't an absolute spirit. Uh, Jonathan simply said, you know what? 
Why don't we go engage the enemy? I'm not going to condemn everybody else. How come none of you folks are with me? How come none of you folks are rallying? How come the church is asleep? No, that's all that critical spirit stuff. Don't go there. Who is it that you are called to be in, in your sphere of authority? What can you do with it? Some people are always saying, well, if I was the pastor. Well, you're not the pastor. You're you. But if you were you, what would you do? If you had your authority in your sphere, how would you use it? We always want to be, if I were, to, if I were the president, well, why don't you be president in your house? How would it cha- transform your house if Jesus was ruling you? Well, I wouldn't, well, how are you going to do it? Take what's in your hands and do something with it, which is my third point. Look at what Jonathan did. All he had was a sword and an armor bearer. And he's going to go present himself. That's his military strategy. I'm going to go present myself to the enemy. Never heard that strategy before. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to walk right up there, just me and you, and my sword, and, uh, and our God. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to show ourselves off to the enemy. And if they do such and such, we'll know God's not in it. But if they say this, we're going to climb right up that mountain and we're going to whip them all. Can you imagine what that armor bearer was thinking? <laughs> Dang, why didn't I get assigned to somebody else to carry somebody else's armor? But he took what he had. And I was telling our folks, you know what? If right now you're leading one of your connect groups, and right now you got your Bible and two people in your connect group, come on, you got an army right there. They can go out and do incredible things. Don't, I mean, I just wish I had 10 people in my life group. Well, you don't. You got two. But you got two in God and in the Bible. Lead those people. Do something with those people. Work with what you've got and watch what God begins to do. Last point right here is becoming a kingdom epicenter for what God wants to do. This is what I love about this passage. When somebody stands up and is courageous, it inspires a whole bunch of other people that were looking for permission to be courageous. Have you all known that to be true? When Tony Perkins and Pastor Kevin came with me to, uh, have you been out there yet? You were going to come. You haven't been yet. I know. All right. You, we got to send this man of God to, uh, to Tony Perkins' event and Family Research Council in May. I heard Tony Perkins stand up and just challenge us as men of God. He said, you know what, guys? Government can only do so much. We need to change the hearts and souls of people in America, and we need the church to be ablaze with Holy Ghost fire, and we need men of God in the pulpit to lead the way. And I sat there as a man of God listening to all that. Some of you know our culture squashes, uh, squashes pastors really good um, and, and really tries to emasculate pastors, Okay. And I'm sitting there, look, as, an, as a young man that wants to make my life count, I want to make an impact, I want, to, I want to leave a legacy, okay, just like you do. And when I heard that invitation, he basically said, come with me, we need you. Something went off inside of me, and I just determined, you know what, I'm not going back. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with that kind of person. In every church, when people live radical lives, they submit themselves to God, and they live the gospel. You inspire people around you to be all that they were called to be. When, when Jonathan went out with just his little armor bear and whipped about 20 guys in the first wave and everything started going on, I want, you, I want to show you what began to happen here. First of all, Saul, you know, Saul ends up getting awakened from his slumber. And in verse 19, here's what religious people do. Saul wanted to get the priest and, have a, and offer a sacrifice, and he realized we can't offer a sacrifice. The war's already upon us. Let me just put a comment here. I'm just encouraging you that the day of just waiting on the Lord in prayer without action is over. Some people will think that prayer is going to change America. No, prayer and action is going to change America. Some people think action only will change America. No, you can't change America without prayer. But I'm telling you, for for far too long, we've just said, God, do it, God, do it, God, do it. And he said, I want to, through you. Open your mouths, get involved, lead. Be my people. So it's both. Saul wanted to have a prayer meeting. And when the enemy's coming down swinging swords, it's not a good time to have a prayer meeting. It's time to find your sword. Today's the day to find your sword. But I want you to look at what happened. I close with this. Verses 21 to 22. 
It says, moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites. Who are these people? These are cowardly Israelites who decided uh, we don't want to be the oppressed group. We'll willingly come and be a part of the Philistine camp. Go ahead, mistreat us, abuse us, whatever. But, but just so we'll preserve our lives and we'll be saved. I mean, there's a lot of people in the church that are that way. It's like, I don't want to go to be a part of a church that's picking fights with everybody everywhere and stirring things up. I just want to go over to this church. I'm comfortable there. I'm safe there. Well, you know what? This isn't a time for safety. It's a time for courage. It's a time to be the people of God. So people started, Israelis who were in that camp started going, wait, why are we in the Philistine camp? All right, we're going to go on that side now. They, they jumped sides, which is okay. These are all the backslidden people running back. Look at verse 22. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them. This message today might not be for everybody, but if it's for two people in this church and you get it, you're going to inspire backslidden people to say, you know what, I need to get my life right with God. You're going to inspire faint-hearted Christians who... Maybe they're not early adopters. They're not the ones that are saying, yeah, let's, let's go pick the fight. Yeah, they're going, are you kidding? But you know what? Once they see the courage and they see the, the, the presence of God and they see the fruitfulness, they're going to be going, yeah, we're with that pastor. We're, we're with Pastor Kevin. We want to be a part. Yeah, we're with Legacy Church. See, I think here's what happens, and I share this prophetically over this house. As God's raising up, I believe, a new kind of breed of church that's going to roll up their sleeves. I'm not just talking about war. I'm talking about our war is loving, serving, giving, also being a prophetic voice, saying no, leading. But as God raises this church up, there are people in the wings just kind of watching. And they're going, wow, look at that church. Wow, look at the courage. Wow, did you hear, did you hear the pastor speaking about issues that matter, unashamedly proclaiming Christ? On talk radio? Did you hear that, Pastor? What church is that? That's, that? that's that legacy church over there. Legacy church. You know what it said of the early church? People were afraid to join them. You all know that? The fear of God was among the outsiders as it related to the church. Because why? Because God was actually at church. <laughs> there was the presence. There was the power. There was the glory. And it wasn't like, yeah, let's just go join that church. Cool, you get a mug or whatever. No, it was like, <laughs> and I'm not against mugs, you know. If y'all got a mug here for guests, that's good. But here's what I'm saying. People start going, whoa, that church is, that church is for real. And here, here's what happens. I believe God then raises you up. I mean, you know, the first folks that joined David's church weren't the real cool guys. They could sure fight, though. And they had a little ornery side to them. They were a little edgy. They, 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 uh, they were, if you got in a fight, you wanted those guys. But they'd been pretty much beat up. And nobody else wanted them. But you know what? God raised up a kingdom from that small, humble beginning that shook the world. I think God's raising up some churches like that. I believe you guys are one of them. Uh, and I'm just privileged to be running with you. I just tell you this. We'll pray for you. Uh, we'll stand with you. We love your pastors. Uh, we'll be great friends with them. And, uh, and we hope over time to become great friends with you all as we get to know you a little bit better. But I just want to say it's a pleasure to be here today. We love you and just want to challenge you. Man, be all that you can be. Be a come, let's go church. And I believe God's going to shake this region through you. Amen. Pastor Kevin.